0: Welcome everyone to Finance Podcast Week and this special live stream panel, Women in Finance with Diana Merriam of the Optimal Finance Daily podcast, Jamila Souffrant from Journey to Launch, and Smart Money Mamas' Chelsea Brennan. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Finance Podcast Week is a week of live stream sessions like this one with top finance podcasters and experts from around the world. We also have exclusive pre-released episodes on the Finance Podcast Week channel for free. You can replay any of the panels on the Finance Podcast Week channel as well. Download the Podbean app and follow the Finance Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time about all of the live streams and specially released episodes of the week. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetization platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcast constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And now we'll hand it off to our host of this live stream panel, Diana Merriam of the Optimal Daily Finance Podcast. Hello and welcome.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for having us.
0: We are so excited
1: Yes. And welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Diana Miriam. I'm the host of the Optimal Finance Daily Podcast. This is a daily show where I serenade you with the sweet sounds of personal finance knowledge. And I am joined here by my friends, Chelsea and Jamila. Welcome, ladies.
2: Thanks so much.
1: Yes. Awesome. Well, how about we start with Jamila? You want to do a short introduction?
3: Yeah, sure. My name is Jamila Souffrant creator of journeyslaunch.com and host of the Journeyslaunch podcast, where I help people reach financial independence and freedom. So, you know, break down terms in the personal finance space to be more relatable. And my goal is to inspire, but also give tactical, practical steps for people to really live the life of their dreams. Money is a tool to do that. And so, you know, along with the budgeting and tactical aspects, how can we also inspire and think about our lives in a bigger sense than just money, using money as that tool to get what we want.
2: Awesome. Great. And Chelsea, how about you? I'm Chelsea Brennan. I'm the founder of Smart Money Mamas, where we work on helping moms feel confident with money so that they can build lasting wealth and financial security for themselves and their families.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It feels very appropriate for us to be discussing women and personal finance. It is Women's History Month, so great timing for us. And, you know, it came to my attention when we were brainstorming the topic for this panel that there's this perception that most podcasters in the personal finance space are men. And when I heard that, I thought, wait a second, because I feel like I'm surrounded by women just killing it in this personal finance space. And of course, I'm a huge fan of both of you. So thank you again for joining me. Um, Chelsea, I I wanted to to call out to you just to, to start out when I was doing some research on just the unique issues around women in personal finance. I actually came across an article of yours about, uh, I think you wrote it for chime just a few years ago. And you talked about how women do hold a lot more power than they think when it comes to money. Um, wh- what can you tell us about that today as we kind of kick things off?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a wide range of ways in which women control a lot of wealth, a lot of money. The, the, Beginning part of that is just consumption, right? And so when you look at the average family, over two thirds um, of heterosexual couples, the woman is the one who manages the budget, manages the household budget. And that means we're in control of where that money goes, the companies that we support and the, the values that we want you know, expressed through how we use our money. And so that's a powerful thing. And when you break down the numbers, it says that, you know, women influence over 90% of consumer decisions, over 80% of financial decisions. And that's actually a big one that people are surprised about, about where we Mm -hmm. bank, where we get our mortgage, where we invest is often heavily influenced by women. They're the researcher in the house, right? And so that is a lot of power. And then the last part of it is actual held wealth. And so right now, women hold the, um, the minority of wealth in the U- in the US and around the world. But as you look at what's coming in the next couple of decades, as women outlive men specifically and, and take over inheritances and things like that, it's expected that women will control more than 50% of the wealth in the world. I think by 2050, I might be wrong with that number. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of control that we have both in the immediate term with how we spend our money and then in the long term in investing and where those investment dollars go.
1: Awesome. Absolutely love that i know for me personally you know growing up in a household where my mother was the breadwinner going to school i felt like all the smart kids at school i was surrounded by girls right um graduated at the top of my classes then went to college and then even in my professional career i've always worked for women and i've always worked for women business owners so for me as a female you know embracing my independence i feel like i've had a lot of amazing examples growing up of, of women taking control of their finances and seeing them in leadership positions. And I'm curious for you both, if you've had that kind of influence, if you feel it's important to have, you know, examples of women in your lives um, that have kind of paved that for you. Jamila, do you, do you have any insight on that from your own life?
3: Yeah, I, you know, I think it's important to not only see people on TV and in professional aspects that we don't know who look like us, that are doing things that we didn't think were possible, but also in our real lives. And, you know, oftentimes our heroes are very unassuming, the ones in our real life. So for example, my mom is, you know, someone who has taught me about money, but didn't really know or sit down and teach me actual lessons. It was how she was able to manage so little and grow it into something and a foundation for me to do more than she was able to do. So as an immigrant, you know, my mom came here from Jamaica the island and had me at a pretty young age 20 as a single mom so to watch her and grow up watching her work so hard also my grandmother these matriarchs in my family uh, really just make it out make something out of nothing has inspired me as someone who had a, a better starting point and more opportunities and a bit of privilege being able to grow up mostly here in the United States to at least be aware of what money would be able to do for me if I handled it properly and so I did take that to help establish where I am today. And so I think for everyone we have, and it may not look like the way we wanted it to, you know, it may not have been a perfect money story growing up and who those people were in our lives, but to really look around us at these unassuming money mentors that we would have had or had in our lives growing up and to identify them, because maybe they didn't sit and teach you actual lessons, but they did something amazing with what they had or were able to persist or persevere through things. So it's really important to identify that in your own life
1: love it love that thank you you know i i do want to take some time to address the elephant in the room i'm sure most of us are sick of talking about covid however it does seem to have had a disproportionate effect on women in the workforce i know that this pandemic has affected so many people in their finances um and especially women And, you know, I'd love to hear from you, Chelsea, kind of the effect that you're seeing and how you're seeing, you know, women combat the effect that COVID has had on our finances.
2: Absolutely. COVID has definitely had a disproportionate effect on women. And I think absolutely a disproportionate effect on mothers because, you know, we're still the the caregivers in many, many cases. And so trying to manage a full-time job, whether you're working from home or you're someone who needs to work, who doesn't have that option to, to have virtual work. And all of a sudden kids were home, we lost childcare. It's been a major, major impact. And when you look at something like the wage gap, right? For the average family, what they will say is, well, mom makes less. So it makes sense for her to step back at work or her to take time off to help us handle through this pandemic. Um, because we need someone to take care of the kids and that you make less, but that just broadens that gap. And like, there's a lot of people expecting to see a widening of the wage gap over the next several years because of the impact of women stepping out in this period of time. So what we see in our community is a lot of women, frankly, um, who are making, having to make really, really hard decisions and who are just getting burnt out, who have tried to stay, in their work, um, committed to their career, but also trying to balance an enormous amount of responsibility with the kids um, at home and with just general house things. And it's, it's, it's been a very difficult period.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Jamila, do you have anything to add there? Maybe how you're able to manage it in your household as well?
3: Yeah, you know, I think there's the overall experience like if you look at how um, you know, black women were the most impacted um with the pandemic in terms of job loss and you know, dial that down again to like how Chelsea talks about just motherhood, right? And how that impacts the balance of having to find a way to deal with childcare and work, which was um really hard. And so there's that general and bigger uh if you zoom out issue and then you zoom in, we all in, as individuals in our own households struggle or have things we have to deal with so myself I'm a mom of three and for me obviously uh, for I think anyone going through this it was it was an adjustment to work from home and then have the kids um, be home at the same time S- really small kids too at that which they really needed a lot of guidance and are not as self-directed because they're all like all three of them are under six years old. so I think um, I was lucky in the sense that I did have help you know my husband, also was home and had the ability to work from home so we I was able to ha- have him help me in the household and with you know the 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 teaching of the children and then watching them while I got work done but I know not everyone has that and so you know I think for everyone it's it's been a different situation depending on w- the support you had but it's it's important to acknowledge how much this has impacted Women and moms, this pandemic and the way we thought about work, how we work, and then the balance of it, because so many women had to end up leaving or were forced out of the workplace because of having to make this hard decision between work and childcare.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, I know one thing for me that came to light, not really driven by COVID, but I think just the dynamic that COVID created. Um, brought some things to my attention my attention in my own work life. So I actually left full-time employment um, about two months ago. I chose to leave and I was in a situation where, you know, it became very clear that I was the only woman on my team and I was being held to a much higher standard than my male colleagues. And I decided that I was in the financial position to be able to walk away from that. I feel like I'm in a very fortunate position to be able to walk away from that. And I hope that for all women, I hope we can all be in that financial situation. Um, but I will say that I was able to see the, the benefit of flexibility and autonomy over my time that I'm now able to enjoy in self-employment. And I know, Chelsea, we had a little bit of a debate about this earlier, um, that self-employment and kind of entrepreneurship is really sold to women as, as this is how you get the flexibility that you need to be able to raise your children at the same time as working. And I I personally have been blessed with no children. So I, I think that I'm really able to to enjoy this real autonomy over my time and, and make self-employment work for me. But you did raise, Chelsea, some really great points on the maybe some downsides to self-employment. I know a lot of women are looking at that now because they need the flexibility. Do you want to discuss some of those points you raised?
2: Sure. I think self-employment can be an excellent way to add flexibility for sure, but I think the problem comes when it gets sold to mothers as, like, like you said, the ability to work and raise your kids at the same time. And this ends up with so many women completely burnt out trying to care for babies and toddlers at home while working and then ending up looking at themselves being like what am i doing wrong like what's what's happening and the thing is you can't do two full time jobs at once and caring for little kids as jamila mentioned with her kids being young my kids are 5 and 3 as well they need a lot of attention they need a lot of direction it's not like you can say hey go play for an hour and you know i'm going to do some work sometimes that works occasionally and often it's like 5 minutes later they're back asking questions and so that's really really hard but the addition is you know, you lose the benefits, you use, lose healthcare benefits. And it's not just doing the thing that you're passionate about. It's doing all the other work that goes with it, you know, the bookkeeping and the following up with clients and the sales pitching and all these things that some people might love. But this idea that an entrepreneurship is for everyone, and that it's a solution for everyone, is just not something that I think is beneficial um, as a narrative.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. I like to say that I'm taking this next year to flirt with self-employment because the jury's still out if uh, if maybe I like W2 work uh, better. But I do appreciate that I kind of had this financial runway to be able to have that opportunity to experiment with it and see if it's for me. Um, I definitely think that if you're going to take that step into self-employment, I personally waited until I was in a financial position to do so, so I wouldn't have so much pressure of like, you know, the things that I'm doing today, I need that to like pay rent render my mortgage next month, um, to be able to have a little bit of a safety net before taking that leap, I think has, has been really beneficial for me and this experience also led me to see how important it could be you know moving forward for us as as we enter this new world post pandemic how important it can be to really diversify your income because i've always found it so interesting that we talk about diversifying your investment portfolio to manage risk and yet when it comes to income most of us are getting it from one source and i think we've really seen in the pandemic when that goes away from no fault of your own, you know, you get laid off for whatever reason, um, it can really put you in a tough situation. So I'm curious, Jamila, you know, you had some thoughts on diversifying income and, and what that might look like. Um, would you like to share a little bit of that for us?
3: Yeah, you know, and I sometimes the diversifying income conversation can feel a bit overwhelming because for some people, right, like it depends on what you want to do on the side of your actual main job. And with that, it can, it can be a lot already. Your main job could be draining enough. And especially if you're, um, you know, a mom coming home and thinking about now I have to like find something else to make money can seem overwhelming. So, um, but I think it is important to at least cultivate skill sets and to continue learning even with, you know, your main job so that you can always be ready in case things happen to leverage skill sets that you learn at your job or outside of your job to earn money. And so you can think about earning extra money in different ways. There is the kind of quick side hustle way where there's not much that you have to put up, up front to maybe make the money. Maybe it's just your tutoring or you know, you're walking dogs in the neighborhood, very simple, right? Like these most likely won't turn into million dollar businesses. you're just doing it to make money on the side with a skill set you have or something you like doing already um you know watching kids things like that that are simple um that you can do with selling your items in your house and then you can start to move up the side hustle chain where you can look at what are you gonna use your skill sets to uh earn money and maybe you are turning that into an actual side hustle that has a website and social media account. Um, And then that takes a little bit more planning and upfront work a bit because you have to establish yourself and, you know, to make it a little bit more legit and to gain customers. So um, and then if you really want to get to the next level, you can start about or you can think about starting um, a business on the side where it would take up a little bit more startup capital. So I think there are different levels to earning different um, types of side hustle or money or income. And it's okay if you don't want to do it in the sense of creating a whole next, next Google, Google, it can be as simple as let me sell some items in my house, um, online. And maybe I have friends and family who I know have a lot of things and I can go sell their things too. So you can look at side hustle in that way. If the other way of it is too overwhelming.
1: Got it. How about you, Chelsea? What does uh, diversifying income look like for people in your community?
2: Yeah, so I agree with Jamila that there's different ranges of ways to do it. And I do agree that it can be overwhelming, especially because when people are often thinking about like replacing their full income, that they need like equal streams of income. And it's like one job, one side hustle can be 200 bucks a month. And that could be enough to give you options. But I think in my community, there's a few different ways that this looks. And one being that, you know, when you have a single earner household, uh, whether that's a single parent or somebody with a stay at home parent, I think the pandemic showed us how much risk you're truly at in that situation, right? When that sole earner gets laid off and the other person, you know, maybe hasn't worked in a while and doesn't have that resume and doesn't have something to fall back on, you know, it, it, you can end up in a really difficult position. Um, and not only that, that then you're, you're putting yourself at risk too, if something happened to your partner, right? If they passed away, if you got divorced and now you're in a much more strenuous position, when we look at, um, Divert divorced couples, the woman's household income falls on average by forty one percent in the years after divorce, where the man it's I think less than twenty percent. It's very very different, and so those are types of things to think about. And so when we look at diversifying income, you know we one thing we say is not to keep too short term term of a view which is you know often when people have kids and they think about the cost of daycare it's easy to say like well i'm not making that much money after daycare so i'm just going to quit and stay at home and i'll try to go back after they go to school well it's very very difficult to come back into the workforce when you've been out of it for you know 5 to 7 years if you had two kids or um or something like that and you're likely to come back at a lower earning rate and you want to really kind of keep that momentum if you can. If, if you don't, if you want to be a stay-at-home parent, that's fantastic. But then we have to have different conversations about what does security look like to you and your partner. For my husband and I, he's a stay-at-home dad, but we were very intentional with what her, his job options were when if something happened to me or if we got divorced so that we, he wasn't in a position where he was going to be strained um, or he didn't feel like he had a lack of agency. And so even in cases of stay-at-home parents for us, we try to encourage to have some kind of side hustle. Like I said, it doesn't have to be making as much as your partner. It doesn't have to be making a full time salary, but just having a way that brings in a couple hundred bucks a month, even, can make a huge difference if you're in a financially difficult position. You know, at least cover some of your bills and things like that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: You know, what we're talking about kind
1: of unique um, aspects of money for women and something you brought up, Chelsea. Um, or concerns over financial abuse. Would you share with us kind of what is financial abuse? What does that look like? And and how do you see people overcoming it?
2: Absolutely. So financial abuse is anytime a partner or someone in your life is trying to take control and manipulate control through finances. And when we think about it, it's something that not a lot of people have heard of, um, but over 95% of abuse cases include some element of financial abuse which makes sense when you consider how much in our lives is reliant on having financial autonomy, right? Being able to have a place to live, having a good credit score and being able to access credit when you need it, being able to get food. And so when a partner starts to manipulate either your access to your own money, so one of the signs of financial abuse can be limiting access to bank accounts or only giving out, you know, you get this much money to buy groceries and you have no access to any other money. Um, or manipulating their ability to work, right? So that can be showing up at your workplace unexpectedly. That can be sabotaging job interviews. That can be, you know, you decided to be a stay-at-home parent for a couple years. That was your agreement with your partner. And now that it's time for you to go back, they are pushing back against that and they don't want you to go to work and they're sabotaging any opportunity for you to work. And so that's what financial abuse looks like. When it comes to overcoming it, this is a really difficult one. And it depends on your situation and the level of, you know, really worry about escalating abuse in your relationship. And so this one is one that I highly recommend people reach out to the National Center for Domestic Violence, reach out to for help. Um, this is not one that we want to give advice as not as a professional, because it can put people at risk. But there are ways to start to save up a little bit of your own money to start to have try to have conversations um, about money with your partner. And so if things just feel a little bit like, eh, kind of make your hair stand on end and they make you a little worried. Um, maybe address that conversation and see how your partner um, responds. And so for us, we talk, once again, we'll go back to stay-at-home parents, they're at a significant risk because they don't earn their own money, right? And so they, if that type of relationship starts to show itself, you don't have a lot of the autonomy that somebody has that maybe makes some of their own money because like one of the tools they'll recommend for people that are in financial abuse situations is to go to your HR Um, and say, hey, I need $50 from my paycheck moved into this other bank account, because your HR can send money in multiple places. And the rest that direct deposit is normal. And if your partner asks questions about it to go back to them and say, hey, like, yeah, we had an increase in in our health care or whatever, one of our benefits. And so now my paycheck is going to be lower, but it's letting you squirrel away a little bit of your own money in case you need it. So when you don't work, you don't have some of those options. And so we think about financial abuse, making sure that you're always involved in the as an equal partner in the finances regardless of who makes more um making sure you know where the accounts are making sure that you keep your own credit score up that you keep your skills up even if you're choosing not to work for a period of time so that you always have options mhm
1: Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of women listening to this, I'm sure. Jamila, do you have any, you know, targeted pieces of advice that you feel is unique to women when we think about personal finance?
3: I would say um, because society and our cultures, our respective cultures and just our family structures put a lot of pressure on women, um, to be a certain way, and whatever that way is, um, depending on where you are, um, it's really important for women to almost um, journey back within themselves. You know, so I know the money journey is um, a lot of times talked about as an external one, and because there's a lot of like external work, of course. You know, when it comes to budgeting or earning more and investing, right? But all of that starts from within, and so in order to really be able to use money as a tool that gives you the life you want not the life someone else is defining for you or telling you that you need I think as women we really need to think within and and go within to really understand or feel like what what do we want you know um if if we could do what we wanted to do without what other people thought without the guilt what would that look like what would that life be um mm. even if you are a mom even if you know you are a wife, What do you want as a woman? Um, And, you know, asking those questions can begin to uncover some uncomfortable things if you find yourself, you know, in a situation that's not what you really actually want. But I think it then allows you to get real with what the next steps are and how you can potentially begin to work towards a life that is in more alignment. And I just think because of all the pressures that women are under, especially as moms, especially just as women and you know whatever whatever race you are or wherever, whatever country you are in, it's just you really have to journey within to find out what it is that you want. So that way, the life that you do build um, is one that you can look at and be really proud of at the end of the day.
1: Absolutely love that. And it makes such a good point because I feel that the way we spend money is very often a reflection of what we value so if we can get really clear on what we value and find that alignment you know that that is really a a first step of you know having a brighter financial future awesome how about you Chelsea do you have any kind of closing words of advice here
2: yeah, I agree with Jamila that figuring out what your values are and really journe- journeying into what you want your life to look like is a powerful place to start. And one of the things that I would encourage is to think back to the beginning of this interview and the power that women already have. I think sometimes we feel you know, a little bit disenfranchised, disempowered when it comes to money. It makes us nervous. But remembering that if you just control the things you can control, even if you're you know, in a family where you don't necessarily manage everything yet, you don't manage the investments, start taking those small steps. And also remember that um, we have an immense place of power when it comes to generational wealth because most kids want to learn about money from their mothers. They're watching us. They're watching how we talk about it, how we interact in the stores and things like that. And so that by taking the steps to get a little bit better with money every day, by including our kids in those conversations, we have a real ability to change the narrative about money for our kids and their kids in the future.
1: Love that. Love that. And I think for me, where I really started to get better around money is just simply growing awareness, you know, letting my curiosity be bigger than my fear around money. I found myself in my late 20s, 30 grand in debt for absolutely no reason aside from me just not paying attention. And so once I was able to like get curious about, huh, can I turn this situation around? I ended up running a credit report on myself and actually seeing all of my open lines of credit and seeing that I was in reality 30 grand in debt. I knew I was in debt. I didn't know how much debt I had. And so just allowing that curiosity, and belief in that actually I can improve my financial situation. I can take little steps forward and it's overwhelming, you know, in the beginning trying to figure this stuff out. But just little by little, you know, working on figuring out ways to decrease your expenses, increase your income, get, you know, throwing that gap at the debt and then ultimately leading you to, you know, invest and and save and have an emergency fund and all that kind of healthy um, money habits. You know, it comes slowly over time. So if anyone is listening to this and feeling overwhelmed by their money situation, just know that little by little, like take the appropriate steps, um, you know, you're know you going to build confidence along the way. Awesome. So I think Norma Jean, I'm not sure if we had any
0: questions that we wanted to address. Hi, Diana. Yeah, I think we have a couple of questions here. Um, no we don't have any questions yet but if you guys have any questions in the chat um, please let us know we have a couple of we have a couple of giveaways for this panel which is really exciting so just bear with us here we're going to ask some questions and then we'll have people comment in the chat to win Um, and this honestly this panel has been fantastic um, just addressing some of the things that are going on for women overall in the pandemic and then financial. So we're so grateful to all of you for joining us here today. So for our giveaways, we have um, from Diana, we have two tickets to the Economy Conference, November 13th and 14th at the University of Cincinnati. And then from Chelsea, we have one month in the Motivated Mama Society, which is pretty amazing. So um, for those of you commenting, um down below for those of you here in the live stream we're going to give away diana's giveaway first the two tickets to the economy conference and we do have a question here so we're going to address it after we do this quick giveaway and so um diana uh is do you want to ask a question for the giveaway or should we ask one for you you can go ahead and ask one okay perfect so diana asked a couple of questions on um how to build your life in terms of finance and how to make your own choices which Chelsea and Jamila answered really beautifully and and so Diana mentioned that she is currently having a year of what Um, if anybody wants to comment first one here gets the tickets so you're currently enjoying a year of here we go Germo self-employment okay perfect so I'm just gonna pop my email here and then if you want to email me we will directly connect you to get your prize um, and then our next our next giveaway, sorry, I'm just jumping in here with the email. Our next giveaway is for Chelsea's one month in the Motivated Mama Society. So Chelsea, you talked a lot about a, many things on this live stream so far. So in terms of the question, what we're going to ask is um, what year do we predict that women are going to Overcome men in terms of wealth and wealth, um, holding wealth. Here we go. Sita, 2050. Perfect. All right. So, my email is here in the chat. If you want to give me an email, uh, we will connect you directly. So, Sita has claimed the prize for the one month in the Motivated Mama Society. So, thank you all. And we have a quick question here. Um, Whoop, earlier on. How do you recommend we keep track of our money with an online platform? Oh, this is a really great question. So, Dan, I'm gonna throw it to you and then um, we can have everybody jump in.
1: Sure. There are a few different ways that I track um, my money. So the first thing that I do is, you know, if I if you think about fixed and discretionary expenses, my fixed expenses I track monthly on just a simple spreadsheet. And then my discretionary spending. I have a, a just a simple app on my phone. It's nothing noteworthy. It's just something that I downloaded for free. And anytime I spend money on food, on gas, on anything discretionary that isn't already captured in my fixed expenses, I will track against that as I'm spending. The other tool that I use is personal capital, and that's a tool that I use to track my net worth because it pulls in, you know, all your different bank accounts, all your different investments. Um, It'll have your, you know, you have your debt loaded in there as well, so it gives you a really clear picture on your net worth and how you're tracking against that. So those are there are better tools probably more sophisticated tools out there i'm a little set in my ways from when i first started so those are the tools that i use but i know that chelsea has some good recommendations on this as well
2: yeah, so I am a flag-waving supporter of You Need a Budget, which is a budgeting tool. It is paid, but it is absolutely worth the cost. And um, and um so I've been using that to track every single dollar I've spent <laughs> since college. Uh, and I really like how it kind of changes your mindset around budgeting and really budgeting the dollars you already have in hand. Um, and making it much more flexible than kind of traditional budgeting would typically look at it. And so I love You Need a Budget. I also use personal capital to do my net worth updates and I use a tool called On Trajectory to track um, retirement planning and and fire planning um, as well. Jamila, what do you...
3: Yeah, I use um, YNAB, so I'm also, you you need a budget user. Um, Love it that I can have it on my phone and my desktop, so that way it automatically syncs whether I'm outside, you know, actually shopping and I can see, okay, how much do I have left in a certain category. I also do um, periodically have uh, log into my personal capital, although I need to reconnect all my accounts again. And I, but you know, when I first started, I used just uh, simple spreadsheets, so through Google Sheets, and you know there are lots of free kind of templates online, even the Google Sheets, if you like, I think if you go to templates they, and you put in budgeting, they have some simple budgeting spreadsheets that you can start out using um, if you don't wanna jump quickly to like an app like YNAB. But um, yeah, that's how I basically manage um, most of my money right now.
0: Perfect, okay, and I just wanted to throw a question to you guys um, but while we still have a couple of minutes. Um, for a lot of women, I think the idea of finance and investing is a little bit overwhelming. And so what are some suggestions that you guys have about women who want to learn more about finance or who want to educate themselves or just to get started on that journey?
2: Oh, this question definitely
0: resonates
1: with me because that was totally me. (laughs) I was very intimidated by investing. And when I started my journey, and was getting out of 30 grand of debt. I really enjoyed the getting out of debt part because, you know, it's very simple. You're just throwing your money at the debt, but investing really intimidated me. And so I was reading a lot of books and I was trying to wrap my head around it. And I will tell you that the book that helped me the most is called The Simple Path to Wealth by JL Collins. He just really does a great job of making the information really digestible, not intimidating at all, um, and really helped me set myself up to automate investing and, and make it very easy. So highly recommend The Simple Path to Wealth. And how about you, Chelsea?
2: Um, I love The Simple Path to Wealth. That's a great place to start. We also have, if you're not ready for a full book, we have the Money Mama's Guide to Investing, which is about 20 pages. It's free on the front page of our website. My background is actually in investing. And so I was a hedge fund manager for a number of years. I worked on Wall Street um, and I was actually had a, luckily had a family friend when I was quite young that started teaching me about investing. So it's a place that I actually feel very comfortable. But A Simple Path to Wealth is a very easy place to start um and then just really taking taking like i said earlier those small steps of like if there's a term you don't know finance loves it's jargon just make a commitment to like jot it down and maybe google you know one word a day that's like you know what does asset allocation mean or what does expense ratio mean and start to pick up some of the lingo and then you'll find that you know, financial advisors and the financial industry wants to keep investing really complicated. It helps them make more money. It helps it feel more complicated to you. And so but in general, investing is a very simple process. The, the best path to success is actually typically a very simple investing strategy, which is what J.L. Collins will talk about in his book. Um, and so just don't feel like you have to make things harder than they need to be.
3: Yeah, I'd hop in and also um, champion the simple path to wealth. And if you don't want to start with the book, if you just like want to, maybe uh, he has a, his blog has a great um, series about the introduction to investing in index funds, which is you know for me what I mostly use to invest. And so I think also it depends on your personality and what you are trying to accomplish. I, you know, although I'm in the personal finance space and, you know, I can be doing a lot of creative things in terms of investing. I like the simple path. I like the lazy path because I don't want to actively manage my um, investments. And so index investing works for me. And so it's also about, you know, not realizing you don't have to chase everything that's popping up, you know, um, while there are great, great and new ways to invest. Um I also feel like the basics matter first. People think about investing and they automatically think, "Oh, I have to like, you know, open up an account and now be like a day trader." And it's like, "No, if you have a 401k at your job, you're an investor. Like you 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 already are investing if you're putting anything towards it." And so I would say start with the simple things first that you already have access to. Um, Before you move to the more complicated things. So if you are lucky enough to have a job that has a 401k that even has a match to it, start there, start looking into to make sure that you're putting um, up to at least a company match if you can, and look into what you're invested in in the 401k and see how much you can increase, you know, over time. And then after that, maybe look into the Roth IRA. And so I think like starting with the basics without overcomplicating things is um, important because if you look at what everyone else is doing and um, the kind of, oh, you know, you can earn all this if you just invest in this new asset class kind of can be confusing and then you feel like you're missing out. So stick with the basics and keep it simple.
0: That's really great advice. Thank you so much, Jamila. We have another question here. Um, Is there a good online investing site to help my 13-year-old learn about and actually invest? This is a great question. And what do you guys recommend in terms of um, educating our youth on financial literacy, especially women and girls? I'm going to pass this to Chelsea. I feel like she might have a good answer here.
2: I do. So at 13, you can't legally invest on your own, right? This is going to have to be an account where you are the owner and your child is just investing. Um, something to look into that's kind of a good small place to start is the Stockpile app. So that lets you invest with as little as $5 and you can buy fractions of shares. So I like that with young kids. Well, in general, I don't like single stock picking because it doesn't outperform the market long term. When you're talking about kids, it's a really easy way to get them introduced to investing to say, um, mm-hmm you know, what's a company that you really like, let's go buy a piece of that share and learn how to watch it and understand that the market does have fluctuations, it does go up and down, and let them start to feel more comfortable with it. So Stockpile app is a good place to start. If you're looking to really help her invest long term, one of the things that a lot of parents don't know is that you can open Roth IRAs for your kids as long as they have earned income and earned income doesn't mean they need to have a job. If your 13 year old babysits, as long as you track that income and you keep it in a spreadsheet or something like that, that income can be used to open a Roth IRA. And so, in that case, I would look to somewhere like a Fidelity that has low fees to get started and help her put money away. Um, but that's for the long term. Stockpile is more what I would use for for learning and that hands on education. And you know, I would say this too as
3: a mom. My kids are still pretty young six, four, and two. But now, you know, we started to like have these money lessons with them, and they're getting money every week. And one of the things that I heard and I, I'm going to start implementing is when they have, you know, their spend save uh, little buckets, they can have an invest envelope or bucket. Right. And to just get them used to the concept of what compounding um, interest is, is if you do give them that dollar, you know, if you give them and you have them put a dollar in each each bucket, you can say, well, the investing power works like this. If you choose not to spend it, then I will you know, put 25 cents or 50 cents, whatever it is, you know, each week to the investing Pile. So the longer you keep it in, the more money you can accumulate because it's going to start compounding over time. You can act as the market almost. And just to get them used to the concept of if you keep it in there longer, the more it will grow and earn interest versus, versus if you spend it. And so I'm looking forward to like actually starting that <laughs> process with my kids. But I thought it was really a cool concept um, to start right at home without, you know, just simple
2: dollars and cents. And Jamila, that's a great point about you being the one who puts the money in the investing pot. Um, A mistake we see parents make when they do this allowance method and they add either the savings or investing bucket is that they take that money away and they put it in the bank or they invest it for their child, especially when you're talking about young kids like Jamila and I's. They, they don't understand, right? And then they start to build this association that saving and investing is somebody taking my money away. And it can actually cause a negative relationship with saving. Even if they are tucking it away, they are getting growth, they can't understand it. And so when you keep it physical, at least until they're kind of seven or eight years old for most kids, and even then you want to make sure that you're showing them the balances on a regular basis. But yeah, making sure it's something that they can visually see the growth.
0: That's fantastic. These are all fantastic answers. Thank you so much. You guys have all provided just incredible insight and resources on women in finance. So thank you everyone for joining us for this live stream, special panel on women in finance with Diana Merriam of the Optimal Daily Finance Podcast, Jamila Souffrant from Journey to Launch and Smart Money Mamas, Chelsea Brennan. If you joined late, or you want to have another listen to these amazing podcasters and experts, You can replay this panel on the Finance Podcast Week channel. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean, where a podcast hosting and monetization platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for the session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The context of of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcasts constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean, or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Thank you everyone for joining us. We have two more panels coming up today at 1 p.m. Eastern. We have a panel called The Pros, Investing with the Professionals, with Justin Klein from Invest Talk, Rick Ferry from Bogleheads on Investing, and Peter Schiff of The Peter Schiff Show. And then at 2 p.m. Eastern time, we have our Money Mindset panel. So stay tuned, everyone. We have a couple more today, and then we've got five more live stream panels tomorrow. So thank you, everyone, for joining us for Finance Podcast Week. We're going to take a short break, and we'll resume just before 1 p.m. in about 12 minutes. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Diana. Thanks, Chelsea. Thanks, Jamila.